0: Hello, and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. To week one of our brand new November series called The Gift. And over the next few weeks... We're going to be looking at in depth uh, at the person of the Holy Spirit and who who He is and what He does in our lives. And I'm really excited about this series. One reason is because uh, for many years growing up in in church, uh, I think, and if, um, if I'm not mistaken, a lot of us will find our way uh, of same in starting points in the same place. That we we were I believed in the Father, the Son. Then it was the Who? I wasn't too sure about this Holy Spirit so much so that actually. Most of the church would describe him as the Holy Ghost. And as a young guy, whenever I heard something described as a ghost, I would step away from that. So I was always a little bit on the back foot when it came to anything and understanding of the Holy Spirit. And so much so that actually growing up in, the, in church in Zimbabwe in the 90s, um, it was on the back of something called the Toronto Revival. And it was this incredible move of God that happened in, in Canada, but the spillover effects went all around the world. And, and with the incredible power that was on evidence of God's working, uh, whatever happens when God steps out and does something unique like that, there's also a lot of flesh involved and human uh, reaction to it. So I was had front row seats to the power of God, but at the same time, the weirdness of humanity that came along with it. And because of that, I've always been a little bit on the back foot of this understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. But I've gone on a journey as I've learned to understand who the Holy Spirit is and have allowed Him to shape my life in such a way. And I pray that this evening, as we go on this journey together for the next few weeks, that God is going to shape us. He's going to redeem things in our hearts and minds. And actually, my big goal tonight is I want to take the freaked out, those of you here who are like the the holy who? I don't know what about this. What is going on here? I don't understand what, what we're singing about there. I want to take the freaked out, those people on this side. And I'm also going to take the fringe fr- fanatics. Those who hear the word Holy Spirit and hear the, the see, feel the, the keyboard start to play. They get ready to go. I want to take the freaked out and the fringe fanatics and bring us right into the middle and, and, and and say, God's got a journey for us with the Holy Spirit. That He's God, He's powerful, and He's got so much more for you and I in our lives. So if you're excited for that, I'd love to ask you to stand at this moment. And as you do, we're going to read Scripture. And the Scripture you are going to read tonight is I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 800 times in the Bible. 800 times. He's there in the second verse of the Bible in creation. Uh, and He's there in the last stanza of the Bible in the book of Revelation where it says the Spirit and the bride say, come. He's there at creation. He's there at consummation. He's involved in all of it. But I want to start us right in the slap bang in the middle, Luke chapter 4, where Jesus interacts with the Holy Spirit for the first time in his life. So why don't we read it together? Luke 4 verse 1 to 14 says this, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I'll give you the glory of all these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I'll give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem. To the highest point of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the Scriptures say He will order His angels to protect and guard you, and they'll hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, The Scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. Let's pray this evening. Holy Spirit, we pray tonight as a people that you are welcome here. You're welcome here. You have full reign of our hearts and lives. And I pray, God, would you make yourself known to every single one of us. And you would you glorify Christ in every single heart here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Why don't you take a seat this evening? I want to very quickly this evening... Give us three understandings from the scripture about how Jesus walked with the Holy Spirit, interacted with the Holy Spirit. And there's three things that leap out from his text. Number one will be on the screen behind me as we get going on this Holy Spirit adventure together. Number one, we found out that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. The scripture starts in Luke 4. It says, Returning from the Jordan River, Full of the Holy Spirit. But when we read those words, returning from the Jordan River, we have to understand that there was something that happens before chapter 4. It's called chapter 3. And in chapter 3, verse 21 to 22, we see what happened in a, in, in, at the Jordan River. We see that Jesus was baptized. And it was, it was not like some any ordinary baptism. This was dramatic. Je, as Jesus went under the water and came out of the water in, in, a, in response and obedience to the call to be baptized, Scripture tells us the Father's voice in heaven, the Father God's voice, Echoed out over Jesus and said, this is my son whom I love and I'm well pleased. Profound. But what happens next is equally profound. It says that on the back of those words, it says the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove. It's this dramatic understanding. And I want to say from the get-go to you tonight, to put this deep in our hearts, is that as I read Scripture, what I've come to understand is that the Holy Spirit is first and foremost a gift. He's a gift from the Father, a gift of love from, from the Father to us. And this is huge for us in our, in, our, in our African culture, where we're coming from, in our church culture, even in the Western mindset often, is because the Holy Spirit is not given, as I read the Scripture, on the back of performance. He's not given as a result of obedience. He's not even given as a result of maturity. He is given as a result of the Father's love for His Son. The Holy Spirit is first given unto Jesus, When the father says, this is my son whom I love and I'm well pleased, the next line says the Holy Spirit was poured out onto him. Now, why this is profound this evening is that actually I want to tell you that the the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God is not for the spiritual elite. The Spirit of God is not there for the spiritually mature. It's not there for somebody one day will get there in our our faith journey. No, no, no. the Spirit of God is told, we are told from the get-go, is given to us as a gift. Why this is massive is that actually when we look at Jesus, Jesus is 30 years old when He gets baptized and gets the Holy Spirit poured out on Him for the first time in the Scriptures as we read it. What's profound about this is that actually up to this point, Jesus has done no miracles. He's done nothing to warrant the, the, the seemingly approval of the spiritual elite. He's not anything special. Up to this moment, He's known just as Jesus the carpenter's son from Nazareth. But at age 30, As he gets baptized, the father's voice declares, this is my son whom I love and I'm well pleased and the spirit of God is poured out. So it's amazing for me to understand that the spirit of God is given not on any other basis but the fact that the father loves his son. What's equally important for me is the fact that it shows that Jesus did nothing spectacular without the Holy Spirit. He didn't earn the Holy Spirit. He didn't work his way up to a crescendo. Now I get the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. He had done no miracles as the Holy Spirit was given. And then the ministry began. But I love the fact that actually Jesus' ministry did not begin until the Holy Spirit was given. This is huge. And this evening we're going to get a bit teachy here. But we have to stick with me because we're going somewhere together. It's a big word that is thrown around in theological circles about Jesus' hypostatic union. Now, why that is profound for you and I is that scholars around the, world agree, around the world agree that Jesus here on earth was 100% God and 100% man at the same time. That's the hypostatic union of Christ. 100% God, 100% man at the same time. Now, why this is huge for you and I today. You're like, Gabe, that's a big word. What does that got to do with me? I want to tell you, as I read the scripture, him being 100% God and 100% man, Jesus did not cheat in this life, his life that he lived, by leaning into his divinity. Let me tell you, Jesus didn't live the miraculous life he lived because he was the son of God. He lived that miraculous life because he received the power of the Holy Spirit. Why do I say this? In Philippians 2, we find out that it says this. It says Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he actually emptied himself of his God nature. Because Jesus is our substitute on the cross. He does what you and I cannot do. But this thing of his life on earth, he came as well to be our model, our example of how you and I are supposed to live this life out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Stick with me. Stick with me, people. Acts 10, verse 38. Peter preaching says this. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. It's powerful. It's powerful that the Holy Spirit has poured out on Jesus only at the age of 30. Why? I think this is incredible, and I want to say it from the get-go. Here at Life Changes Church, we believe that there is no man of God, in, a, in quotation quotes. You know, in most churches, they go, that man is the anointed. That man has got the, the spiritual blessing of the Father. That's the man of God, the man of power for the hour. Actually, as I read scripture, that Jesus rips that out of, from underneath us. He's saying there's actually only one who's truly fully anointed. His name is Jesus Christ. But actually, he has opened the gates for you and I to step into his example and every single one of us to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. This is massive, because when we understand that the Holy Spirit is given as a gift, no one's disqualified. But we all start at an equal point, ready to receive a gift from a good Father who loves us. Now, let me keep going this evening, because this is so profound, because Jesus actually, he, he echoes this in Luke chapter 7. There's a fascinating portion of Scripture where he says this. He says, ask, he's teaching on prayer, he says, ask and you will receive. Knock and the door will be opened, seek and you will find. And, and, and that's a brilliant example of prayer that actually we can ask, we can seek, we can knock, and, and that God will answer us. But it carries on. It doesn't stop there. The scripture carries on. He says, and he starts talking about earthly fathers. He says, you earthly fathers, though you are evil in comparison to the heavenly father, though you're evil compared to him, you still give good gifts to your children. He says, how much more will the father give you the Holy Spirit if you ask So this teaching about prayer is actually not just about prayer. It's actually about the Father giving us a gift called the Holy Spirit. This is the incredible understanding I want to impress in our hearts that the Holy Spirit is a gift. Secondly, understanding of being full of the Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is also a guarantee of our sonship. What does this mean? It's that the Holy Spirit seals us and assures us of our salvation. You see, he is the 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 guarantee that is given by the Father. The guarantee that we are His sons and daughters. You see, Romans eight tells us that says that actually, apart from the Holy Spirit, not one of us can cry out, "Abba, Father." The Spirit of God comes inside of us and allows us to call out, "Daddy, God." I've got a little nineteen-month-old daughter, and she doesn't address me as Father. She's just not that eloquent yet. But actually, what thrills my heart is when the little girl looks up and she says, Dada, with this absolute connection to me. There's not a theological or theoretic understanding of her dad. It is and like, I'm his daughter. is my father. How, this is how I must approach him. No, no. There's just this, there's this an innate ability to call out Dada from the depths of her being, knowing with faith that I'm going to pick her up and engage with her. The Bible tells that the Spirit of God is given to us as a guarantee for you and I to be able to look at God and go, dada. Maybe you're here and say, I don't have the theology. I don't know where I stand. This. You don't need the theology. You need to experience the Holy Spirit to be able to engage with the Heavenly Father. Let me, let me help us on this journey. Um, we're going somewhere. It's actually the when we understand that the Holy Spirit has given us a guarantee to help us call out, Abba, Father, It settles this 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 scratchiness in our soul, this he loves me, he loves me not type of Christianity. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. I've felt like that often. We wonder when things are going well, when the money is in the bank, and at the start of the month, when I'm actually living a good life, when I'm being a good dad, when I've been a good husband, when I feel like I'm on the front foot of life, it feels like I can confidently go, he loves me. Maybe I'm the only one here. I have a bad day. I lose my temper. I don't follow through with what I was supposed to do. I don't I don't measure up to the standard that I've set for myself. And I suddenly often feel like, am I fully loved by Him? And I think so many Christians live with this. He loves me, He loves me not. He loves me, He loves me not. And we pray to God that actually on the day we die, we land on He loves me. We pray. I hope. When the Scriptures tell us that actually the Spirit of the living God is given to us, as an assurance to settle that we are his sons and daughters. As I said, it's a gift, not by our efforts, not by our obedience, not our attempts, not our beating of our chests, not anything we have done, but by the fact that the Spirit of God has been given to us to seal our sonship. This is massive because as we read that scripture, you see the first thing that the enemy attacks on Jesus is his sonship. The Father says, this is my Son whom I love. The Spirit is poured out. And chapter 4 says, full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit into the wilderness. It says, the enemy, the devil comes and says, if you are the Son of God, prove it. And can I tell you, the enemy has been doing the same trick ever since to every single son and daughter sitting here. He'll keep coming and he'll keep coming with that trick again and again and again until we know that we know that we know that our salvation is settled and we can only know that not by the beating of a preacher saying it again and again and again, but by the experience of the Spirit of God filling you. That's what settles the itch and the scratch and uncertainty in your soul. You see, Jesus says it in John 14 verse 15. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then the very next thing he says is, but I'm going back to the Father. Imagine the disciples, what? What's going on here? I'm confused, Jesus. Uh, You're quite a trustworthy guy, but you say, you're leaving me. And Jesus goes on this teaching saying that actually I'm going to the Father, but I'm sending you another one. Someone just like me called the Holy Spirit. You see, it would be wonderful if Jesus was here in the flesh. Wouldn't wouldn't it be great? Like imagine, that's that's incredible. Everyone would be flocking to life changers. Bringing their five liter bottles of water, leaving with vino. Just like, you know, just like Jesus is there. The cues for me. The problem is, is that if Jesus was here in the flesh, he could only be at one church at a time. So now, I don't think we've got a big enough building. And actually, that is not what he has settled on. He actually says, actually, when I can put this very spirit of Jesus, who Jesus is, inside of every single person, I can be everywhere at the same time. And this is the guarantee that he says that he'll never leave us, and he'll not leave us as orphans. And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit has given us a guarantee, a deposit, guaranteeing us of our future inheritance. Now, this has rocked my world as I walk this journey, is that if I had a million rand, trusting, let trust with me, one day. But if I had a million rand right now, and I saw Alex, and Alex came to me and said, I've got this great idea for a business, I need some investment. I was like, you know what, Alex, I'm going to invest all my money that I've got. I'm putting in your business. I'm, as, a, as a deposit, I'm putting it down, trusting that something good's going to come from your life. I'm going to put it into your business. Now, I put a million, all I've got into Alex. If Alex starts, and I start going on Facebook and start seeing that Alex is not really putting much time into this business, he's actually out jawling most weekends, and I start to look at the, 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 the numbers, I'm going, what is Alex doing? I would not, just to let you know, I haven't done had this opportunity yet, but I promise you, in my logic, I would not go, ah, you know what? Let's just write it off and walk away. I can't handle that guy. If I've invested something that's precious to me into Alex, whether he is doing well or not, I'm going to start moving closer. Because I want to return on my investment. Here's the great news. Is that Jesus has invested his spirit into you. So when you go, ah, but I'm not really reaching the standards, I'm not, maybe it feels like, it feels like God is moving away from you. There's even an erroneous teaching that actually the Spirit of God is like a dove, and if we lose our temper, He flies away. What insecure God do you serve? Because Jesus on the cross became my sin. He didn't shy away and tippy toe around it, He became my sin, and the Spirit of God is God, and, and, and and He comes, draws near to us, and He walks us into our future inheritance. The Spirit of God has given us a gift and a guarantee, sealing us for our future inheritance. I want to say this. The great news is Jesus said this. You didn't choose me. I chose you. How freeing this evening. I want to declare that over you. Maybe you have some bad theology, but you didn't choose God. You're not that clever. He chose you. And if, he, if, if you chose him, you have to hold on with all your might to make it to the end. And I tell you, your strength is not good enough to hold him on. Hold on to him. But he chose you and he has sealed you with the Spirit and has put a security inside of you so that you can walk into all that he's got for you. Not kicking and screaming, but walking, because I've been filled with the Spirit of God. I tell you. This whole journey of faith is the Spirit of God. The Bible tells us the Spirit of God leads us to repentance. and His kindness, He leads us to repentance. He woos us. He's there before you choose Jesus. The Bible then says that actually, it's this, this, the power of this Holy Spirit that raises us to life, quickens our mortal bodies to life in salvation. <gasps> I come alive, Jesus, because of the Spirit of God. And then it tells us He seals our salvation. He's there before we get saved. He's there the moment we get saved. And He's there as the a seal guaranteeing us. The Spirit of God, whether you believe Him or not, is involved in your life right now. If you are a Christ follower, He's very, very present in your life. Jesus, full of the Spirit. Secondly, this evening, it says Jesus then led by the Spirit. And this is what's amazing for me. The Scripture says, returning from the Jordan, Jesus, full of the Spirit, was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Just a quick disclaimer that's for free for every one of us. I read this earlier. Not all tough situations are from the enemy. It's a quick one. Let that settle quickly. Not every situation that's hard needs to be rebuked and say, I need to plead the blood against the enemy. Because as I read the scripture, the spirit of the living God led Jesus into the wilderness. Just a quick one for you. That's free. Do what you want. All of that. But this idea of being led, that Jesus, the son of God, submitted himself to being led by the Holy Spirit is profound. It's profound. Jesus was led. Being led understands that actually there's a submission to allow that actually you're going to take me where I need to go. I'm not going to rage. I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to put my natural agendas, my natural things that are demanding in my soul. I'm going to, be, I'm going to submit and be led by the Spirit in this moment. You see, the natural man, Romans tells us, it just works us so well. Paul in the book of Romans talks about the natural man, the flesh. It wages war against the Spirit. The flesh always wants to go left and wants to go right. The flesh wants to be satisfied. But the Spirit of God says, no, but we are not led by the flesh. We are led by the Spirit of God. That's who we are. And we have to understand that. And, and, and at this juncture, I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit is not an it. He's not a force. Though the scriptures, the the Hebrew word, the Aramaic word is ruach, meaning a violent wind or breath. And the Greek word pneuma in the New Testament is a similar understanding, a violent wind or breath. But Jesus in John 14, when he starts to unpack who the Holy Spirit is, he uses the personal pronoun he five times. It's not an it. Holy Spirit is not the Father, Son, and it. It's not the the force that, no, no, it's the Holy Spirit is God. And that is so profound for, for me because actually he, he wants to come into relationship with us. Not just there in a, in a moment when we have a keyboard playing, someone praying for us, all oh, the Holy Spirit's here now. No, no, no. He wants to lead us and walk with us as a best friend would with another friend. So I want to tell you this evening, very quickly under this being led by the Spirit, there's three things the Spirit does. Number one, the Spirit convicts us of sin and righteousness. You see, as I read that text, he says, the enemy comes, he says, if you're the son of God, prove it. And the first thing he does is he goes after Jesus' appetite. Jesus is hungry. He says, Jesus, turn these stones into bread. Fill your appetite now. And Jesus' response is that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And what is so amazing is that actually in that moment, the enemy was going after the appetites, and he does the same still. He comes after our appetites. Maybe you've said phrases like this. I know I have. I'm so hungry I could die. I'm so frustrated, I could scream. I'm so horny, I just have to look. Some of you thought the sex series was done. No, no, we just keep going. I'm so insecure, I, have to ju- I just have to do anything to fit in. And, and, and we feel often, we're led by our appetites. But the Bible tells me that the Spirit of God, He convicts us of our sin. Now hear me here, I didn't say condemns us. Convicts us. Romans 8 tells us that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus but actually, he convicts us of our sin. He lets us know when we are erring, when we are walking away from what he has got for us. But the incredible thing scripture says, he convicts us of our sin and of righteousness. So he convicts of a sin, but he leads us into holiness. The enemy will condemn you and leave you in your sin. If you want to know the difference between the voice of the enemy and the voice of the Holy Spirit, the enemy will condemn you and make you feel more rotten than you ever have been. The Holy Spirit will quicken you to know this is wrong, but actually this is where you're called to go. The Spirit of God reminds us of who we are and whose we are. He reminds you that actually that's not how we behave, that's not how we live, but He calls us to a higher standard. He convicts us of sin and of righteousness. Scripture tells in Galatians, those who are led by the Spirit do not gratify the desires of their flesh. And, and as I've been reading, there's a sermon in the Bible in Acts 7. A man named Stephen stands up and he preaches to some Pharisees, some hard-hearted individuals who got stuck in their minds but couldn't experience the fullness of, of life in, in God. And as he's preaching to him, in verse, chapter 7, verse 51 of Acts, if you want to read it at home, but he, he gets up and he starts saying, actually, you have hardened your hearts and you have missed the Holy Spirit. And as I read it, I'm like, yeah, Stephen, get those Pharisees. They harden their hearts, you know. And then just the Holy Spirit, as He does, <laughs> turns the spotlight on me. Says, Gabe, you've hardened your heart against me quite a lot. Every time you rage and pull away from being led to what I have got for you, you end up hardening your heart to my work. I want to just suggest, sir, ma'am, can we, tonight I believe there's an opportunity for us to soften our hearts. As the Word is preached, To even soften our hearts. Say, Holy Spirit, I want to be a person led by you. Led by you. He convicts us of sin and righteousness. Secondly, he clarifies Jesus. The enemy comes and says, bow down and worship me. And calls Jesus to worship him. The enemy is still doing that today because he knows that we are all worshipers. Maybe you're here today, whether you're a Christian, first time guest, whether you're from a Hindu background, a Muslim background, if whether you are saying, I believe in science, whatever your agenda is, you are a worshiper. We all worship something. Just have to look at Twickenham yesterday. All those heathens worshipping the English rugby team. Heathens, yeah? But we're all worshippers. How, how do I know this? Well, you just have to look at all the evidence of your life sports, diets, celebrities, our bank balances, the things that we obsess over. Here's a clue what you worry about is what you worship. What you worry about is what you worship. That's the thing that has uh, the pre- preeminence in your life. But here's the incredible thing, the good news this evening, is that the Holy Spirit's job is to reveal Jesus to us. To lift Jesus above the idols of our heart. To lift Jesus above the temptation of our heart. Because the Holy Spirit is Jesus' biggest fan. Tim Keller once had this illustration for simple folk like me. He says, in heaven, he just thinks about it. He says that Jesus' room, if, he, if each of the members of the Trinity had a room... Their bedroom, he said, Jesus' room would have a wide door into the Father's room. He said, because this was so easy access to get into the Father's room through Jesus' room. Just like, it's straight in. Through Jesus' room, it's easy. And he went on saying, the Holy Spirit's room would have massive posters of Jesus. Not because there's any subordination in the Trinity, but because actually the Holy Spirit, his job is to glorify Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not looking for attention on himself. The Holy Spirit is wanting to glorify the Son. You see, the Holy Spirit's job is actually to help us worship. A word that might be unfamiliar to you, but it's a word called revelation. It's when the understand, the, the information over here drops to your heart and there's a, aha, I get it. It's like when you put money into a, a, a vending machine and you can see the Coke there, you can see the Coke there, and then all of a sudden, whoop, it drops. And now you've got the Coke. Ah. That's revelation. When you are worshiping and you're singing the song again and again and again, and all of a sudden it goes, oh my word, that's who God is. Or you're reading the scriptures and you're reading the Bible and you're like, just black on white text. That's what that's just text here. Just reading. It's like, a, it's like just a bit longer than Lord of the Rings, but let me just keep going. And all of a sudden you read and you go, oh my word, I get it. That's revelation. Where, where the penny drops, where the Coke drops, and it becomes reality to you. The, and do you know who's doing that? The Holy Spirit is making Jesus real to you and I. Jesus cannot become real to you unless you have the Holy Spirit and being led and walking with him. Because then you'll be living in theory, but the Holy Spirit makes it practical. For me, I know when my heart is soft towards God. Is that actually I'm often, whenever I start to sing about Jesus, if tears start to well up in my eyes, it means that actually I'm being soft to the Holy Spirit. This is just for me. Maybe it's different for you. But actually, I've learned that actually the more, the longer if I can go and sing about Jesus and nothing moves in my heart, I have to go back and, and soften my heart and say, Holy Spirit, are you leading me? It's just an indicator for me. Maybe it's different for you, but I, I just want to push us in this journey because it's like, I don't know if you remember Table Mountain used to have those big bright lights on it. I don't know if they still do, but the lights are lit up the Table Mountain. And, and you, because of those lights, you look at Table Mountain, you're like, wow, it's beautiful. How stupid would we look if we went and we got to the mountain and went, look at these lights. They're amazing. What wattage are these lights? They're incredible. And we're staring at these lights, but we're missing the seventh wonder of the world. People would call us crazy. But actually, the Holy Spirit is not here to to take the limelight to himself. The Holy Spirit wants to push all glory and push all attention and all eyes onto Jesus. He's here to stir and clarify and pull, pull worship out of our hearts. that's the Holy Spirit's job, and that's what He came to do. And I want to say to you tonight, if your affections are dead towards Jesus, if you are tonight saying, I'm unmoved when we sing songs, I'm unmoved when I read the Scriptures, if you just allowed your heart to become dead, I want to invite you, allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. I cannot convince your heart to be soft enough. You have to surrender to His leading. Thirdly, under this point, very quickly, the Holy Spirit, He convicts us of sin and righteousness, He clarifies Jesus, but the Bible also tells us he comes alongside. The enemy says, "Jump off." The scriptures tell you, "Jump off and I'll catch." and, and the angels will catch you, Jesus. He uses scripture to try and tempt Jesus to take a, leg- a legitimate way out. And I think often sometimes life will throw us curveballs, throw us situations. I've been dealing with a lot of people who've been going through grieving processes, and grief does bizarre things to people scriptures start to come that you're like, how did you get to that scripture that justify allowing other weird things to happen? And the enemy will know scripture. And he'll come and he'll start, to, he'll start to use different situations, tough situations, bosses that are impossible. And we'll start wanting to walk out of situations and, and walk out of marriages. And, and, and we'll even use scripture to justify it. But I want to tell you the good news about the Holy Spirit is the Bible tells that He, when life gets hard, When life gets complicated, when life, when you don't know where to turn, when you're feeling with situations, you don't have to look for a a quick and theoretical way out, you can invite the Holy Spirit into that situation. Because the word that's used to describe the Holy Spirit most often is the word paraclete. Not parakeet, we're not into pets here. Paraclete, paracletos. But actually, there's various meanings of that word. It means the encourager the strengthener, the advocate, the counselor, but the best word is the one who comes alongside, to strengthen, to support. And my brain goes to this. I've watched a few documentaries of a man named Muhammad Ali, and his name is is huge. But actually, if in the boxing world, it's, it's synonymous with another man, a man who was in his corner, literally in his corner, a man named Angelo Dundee. And their careers were, were together. Angelo Dundee was his corner man. You know the guy who's there who, who throws in the towel if things get tough? The man who gives him the water? The man who straps up his gloves? The man who gets him going, gives him the words of encouragement, keeps him going, gives him strategy in between rounds? Angelo Dundee was that man. And they've both been quoted, Ali and Dundee, saying that actually, if it wasn't for the other one, my career wouldn't have been where it would have got to. Both have. I want to tell you, as I watched, I was like, Angelo Dundee is like the Holy Spirit. Not to minimize them, but to bring some clarity that actually that Angelo Dundee, the man in your corner, the Holy Spirit is in your corner there to encourage you, to push you. When things get tough, you can lean on him, that you can walk alongside him. He can encourage, counsel, bring guidance and lead you into righteousness. This is who the Holy Spirit is, the one who comes alongside. So this evening I want to tell you, Jesus is full of the Spirit. Jesus is led by the Spirit. And finally, can I call the band up at this moment as we land? Scripture lands where it says Jesus went back to Jerusalem in the power of the Spirit. In the power of the Spirit. Now, I love this is that it's from that moment, Jesus returning full of the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, and in the power of the Spirit that his ministry began. Now, there's a story that's been so helpful for me in understanding this, is that growing up in Zimbabwe, I'm the youngest of three boys. Our weekends were filled with games of cricket in our back garden. We had a milk churn for the stumps, I'm the youngest by eight and five years, so I was often the keeper for long stretches of time. But when I got a chance to bat, my brothers would, would, would take turns to terrify me with who could bowl the quickest. And who could, and it was easy to bowl a bouncer to the short kid, so it was good for their egos. But what was terrible is every now and again I would swing and I will miss, swing and miss. But often I would swing and I get a top edge and I will go flying over the fence next door. Now, this was... Quite a terrifying thing because we wanted that tennis ball back. We had worked it. We had put the tape around it to get the swing just perfect. That spalding tennis ball, we needed back. But because I was the youngest, I seemed to lose every single rock, paper, scissors game. I still don't know how that game works because I lose every time. I don't know why, thanks to my brothers. But I was the guy, the sucker, to climb the fence, climb over and go and fetch the ball that was lying next to the swimming pool of our neighbors and bring it back. What made this daunting was that our neighbors had two Rottweilers. One named Sheba, and I still sometimes wake up screaming at night, Sheba, no! But what would happen, this adventure, as my, uh, my brothers would egg me on, go get it, and I'd tiptoe across the garden, knowing that the, the, the slightest false step would, would trigger whispering death around the back, dramatically, with the music coming in. I was terrified. And as i pick up the tennis ball and I'd start to make my way back to my fence, my brothers, God bless and God help them, they would start, as all the brothers do, start to bang on the fence and say, seek him, Sheba, seek him. And I want to tell you today that if you're here and you don't believe that a white men can jump, you could have just come and looked at our house. <laughs> I have never run so fast in my life and left over the fence. Why I tell that story is that actually Jesus never sends us out like lambs to the slaughter. He never does. My brother sent me out there to die with an impossible task. But Jesus never does it. You see, Jesus doesn't say, well, you're saved now. I'll see you in heaven. Good luck. Come on. Here's the standard. Here's the Ten Commandments. Make sure you do this thing. Be good. Walk all days across the road. Just keep it all together and make it through there. No, no, no. Jesus says, I've called you to a high standard, but I'm never going to call you to something that I won't supply you with. Jesus demands much of us, but he supplies everything. This is the incredible news I have for you this this evening. Is that Jesus requires a holy life from you and I. He calls us to walk into more holiness. The great news is that he provides the power for you and I to do it. Besides the Spirit of God, you and I will not be able to do it. He calls us to walk lives of power, calls us to walk lives of joy, calls us to walk lives that are are peaceful, that are so contrary to what the world sees. But the power to do it is in the Holy Spirit. How do I know that? The Bible says it is righteousness. The fruit of the kingdom is righteousness. The ability to be clean and walk holy before God. The fruit of the kingdom is righteousness. Peace, the ability to have calm and, and, and lack of anxiety no matter what the storms of life throw at you. The ability to have joy that is not dependent on circumstances, not dependent on the bank balance, not dependent on, on your spouse giving you affirmation. The righteousness, peace, and joy that is given by the Father says the fruit of the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Too often, we don't know. I've circled in my Bible. Too often, I, I want I want the righteousness, and peace, and joy. I'll tell you it's in the Holy Spirit. It's in the Holy Spirit. Tonight, I want to tell you you've been called to live a Spirit-filled life. If you've given your life to Christ, you've been called to live a spirit-filled, a spirit-led, and a spirit-empowered life. Now, here's the thing. This is an invitation. An invitation to be spirit-filled, an invitation to be spirit-led, an invitation to be spirit-empowered, but it's also a command. Maybe you're sitting here I'll pass on that one, thanks. Unfortunately, as Christ followers, we're not given that option. Ephesians 5 says, don't be, don't give yourself over to drunkenness and be filled with wine. It says, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is an invitation. Put aside that and here, an option, be filled with the Spirit. It's also written, be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the call. It's an invitation and a command. Because you know what the problem is? Too many Christians settle for economy class Christianity. I've grown up going to the airport. I get there. And I get in the plane, and as I put my, my, my ticket in, I just turn right automatically. Economy seats for me. But I don't know about you, I've walked in, and every time I look at those people in first class with their seats that become beds, and their warm face cloths, and their champagne glasses, and they don't even look me in the eye like, oh, economy class. I despise them. But I want to tell you, Jokes aside that actually too many Christians just walk in automatically and think that actually economy class. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but that's my seat there. When actually there's an invitation to something so much more, something so different. Martin Lloyd-Jones, is to bring this into close, He, a great preacher in the early 1900s. He, he told the story that walking with the Holy Spirit, being led with the Holy Spirit, is like a father walking with his daughter. They hold hands and they walk along very content and secure in each other's love. Walking as they walk the child with the father all the way down the road. And every now and again, the father will stop, pick up his child, and twirl them around in dramatic fashion, showering them with kisses, and then put them down with a big smile, hold their hands, and continue to walk. Let me tell you, the spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit-empowered life is not always thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening. It's not always all fall down. It's actually knowing, hand-in-hand, walking, and being led, and being filled, and being empowered day by day by the Spirit of God. And every now and again, He'll use you in dramatic fashions because of the empowering of the Holy Spirit. But this is the, the understanding. I, I grew up thinking that being filled with the Holy Spirit was like there was a cup. And there was water. And when it's topped up, it's full. It can't be full anymore. That was my logic. So what does it mean? How do I continue being filled? Until somebody explained it to me that actually it's better it's better exampled by seeing a balloon. And a balloon, when it's blown up, air has been exhaled into the balloon. The balloon is full. It never is not full. When air has been breathed into it, it it's full. But it always still has capacity for more. You see, I want to tell you, the Spirit of God is here, and He's wanting to breathe His life in you. Maybe you're saying, I've, I've, I've experienced the Spirit of God. I've done that. I've ticked it off. It's not something to be ticked off. It's not an experience to be ticked off. It's not a spiritual knot. It's a gift that the Father keeps pouring out and lavishly calls us to walk with the Spirit of God ongoingly. And I want to awaken and stir our appetite to that tonight. But here's the key. It starts with us surrendering and saying, Holy Spirit, You have authority to fill me, to lead me, and to empower me. And I'm giving that authority to You. Tonight, if you're saying, actually, I want to go on this journey with faith. I want to go on this journey of faith with the Holy Spirit. I want to open my heart afresh, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time. And I'm the first one standing. Say, Holy Spirit, would you fill me? Would you lead me? Would you empower me? I'll ask you to stand. If that's you tonight, as you stand, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Open your hands like this. The reason I do it is for me, it's a posture of receiving, because the Holy Spirit cannot be achieved; He cannot be earned; He's only received. And I felt strongly this afternoon as I was thinking about this moment tonight that there'll be people here who have walked with the Holy Spirit, have known the Holy Spirit, but that voice has gone dim. That passion to walk with them has gone dim. But the Spirit of God is saying, "Actually, I want to revive burning fires." I want to call you to first class Christianity again.